If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Wednesday, August the 19th of 2020, and you're listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. I'm Bill Whalen. I'm a research fellow here at the Hoover Institution and the Virginia Hubs Carpenter Fellow in Journalism. My guest today joining me via Zoom from somewhere here in a very acrid smelling California, and we'll explain the significance of that in a minute, is my colleague James Sweeney. James Sweeney, or Jim Sweeney, as he's known to his friends, is a Hoover Institution senior fellow and a senior fellow at uh, both the Precourt Energy and Efficiency Center and the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research. Jim Sweeney's policy interests include global climate change, automotive fuel economy regulation, electricity market problems, underline that one, electricity market problems, and market structure issues. Jim, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, glad to rejoin you, Bill. So you and I keep kind of ending up on familiar conversations. You and I last did this podcast in October of 2019 to talk about uh, what we politely called an electricity market problem. And the problem then, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, was that Northern California was experiencing terrible wildfires. This uh, hit PG&E's electrical grid and California found itself without power. And we are now looking at the issue of reduced power and rolling blackouts, just as in uh, 2001, 19 years ago, we experienced rolling blackouts. Rolling blackouts have rolled back in the news in California in the past few days. I think we're on day four or five of this right now, Jim Sweeney. Maybe the best way to start this conversation, because it is complicated when you're talking about blackouts and California and energy policy. Maybe it's best, Jim, to explain to listeners what happened in 2001 with rolling blackouts and what is different in the year 2020. Well, that's a good place to start because as opposed to our last conversation, the genesis of these, these potential blackouts, there was an actual blackout on Friday, but potential blackouts now, is very similar to what happened in 2000, 2001, absent one issue. In 2000 and 2001, we've just gone through a restructuring of the electricity system, and there were some very bad regulatory rules imposed by the state of California. The two worst ones were once the utilities were forced to sell off their generating assets, they weren't able to enter long-term contracts to get electricity. So the only purchases for half the electricity was on the spot market. That was one hour ahead or maybe a day ahead after uh, of time they're going to use it. The second, and so the significance of that is the cost of getting electricity could go up and down pretty dramatically with an electricity shortage. The second thing that was a flaw of the regulations is there was a retail price control where the electric utilities were not allowed to raise their prices, even though their costs may be doubling to get the electricity, they're not allowed to increase their selling price. So they were selling electricity at a price lower than they were buying it for, and you lose a lot of money that way. PG&E went bankrupt, in fact, then. And then in that 
situation of vulnerability and those created vulnerability, we had nature get in the way. We had a historically bad uh, drought and the drought meant we had much less water in reservoirs to generate electricity that can be used um, for customers. And second, in that summer of 2000, we had historically high heat. And when you have historically high heat, you have all the air conditioners turned on. All the air conditioners turned on, suck electricity down, so your use of electricity skyrocketed. Then in the fall and winter, we had a his, one of the historically cold winters in the Pacific Northwest. In the Pacific Northwest, a lot of the heating of the homes was through electricity. So really cold days meant you sucked a lot of electricity down. So you had less, less electricity available from hydro. You had limits on what you could produce from natural gas. You had an increased demand for electricity. So the spot price skyrocketed throughout the whole West. When they skyrocketed through the whole West, but, but the utilities couldn't have had long-term contracts because of the regulations. They had to buy at that high price. The state wasn't allowing them to cover their cost in selling it. So they went either bankrupt or close to bankruptcy. And in that situation where they're bankrupt, nobody would sell them electricity anymore. So we had rolling blackouts. Right, okay. That right, was the, the genesis of it. Um, there's claims that there was market manipulation. There was, but the market manipulation to my, num my assessment was very small quantitatively in comparison to the factors that I just laid out. Okay, let's now talk about 2020, Jim, and the two things which I keep reading and hearing about it. Number one, unseasonably hot weather, a big heat wave descending over California and the American West for that factor. And then second, this is what I want you to help explain to people, uh, the idea that it hasn't been suitably sunny in California, if you can imagine that, so we're not generating enough solar energy to get us through the day. So is, are the rolling blackouts as simple as that caused this year? Slightly different, but, but, but there's one more element of it. The drought. Mm -hmm. We've had low water conditions, and so all of the reservoirs that we use to, from which to generate hydroelectric power are low, so that our capacity to generate electricity from hydropower is low, not just in California, but throughout the West, but mostly in California. So that's again parallel to what we had before. I'm not actually sure that there's a significant distant difference because it's not as sunny. Okay. But the big difference is that it is hot and people are turning on their air conditioners so the demand is going up. And so in California, the demand has gone up, the supply is down because of hydro. But then one of the things we do is we import electricity from the rest of the West. But the rest of the West is having a heat wave too. And so in the rest of the West, everybody else is turning on their air conditioners. 
And so their demand has gone out to the West and the rest of the West has low hydro. Um, not as bad as California, but low hydro. So they don't have as much to sell us. So that our supply in California is down because the rest of the West doesn't have nearly as much to sell to California. So our imports are down, our hydro supply is down. And um, with, the, with the hot weather, our use of electricity is up. Those are the essential elements. I want to ask you a very naive question, since you're the energy expert and I'm not. Uh, about 2.5 million people, 3 million people, I think, are affected by rolling blackouts, Jim, in California. Uh, that's a population, out of a population, about 40 million people. Who decides and how do you decide that 3 million people who go without power? Um, the, the independent system operator, uh, which is a not-for-profit sort of um, traffic cop of the system, tells each one of the utilities to, um, to curtail their power, whatever way they can. Mm -hmm. And some of them, and then the, it's up to the utilities to make a decision whether there's a rolling blackout or, or whether there's a lot of jawboning and whether there's a lot of flex alert that people respond to. And so that the utilities, in our case, it's Pacific Gas and Electric, and said, we will share this blackout maybe an, maybe an hour, hour and an hour or so for you, and then somebody else is going to get an hour or so, and we're going to share it throughout the state in order to get the reduction. But they said that's a backup. Right. We did not have any rolling blackouts this Monday and Tuesday, which was the worst, worst day, and so far we haven't on today, Wednesday. The, the primary thing that PG&E has done, keeping the blackouts as, as the backdrop of, of what happens if they don't get enough from energy conservation, is tell people to con conserve energy. Don't turn your, set up your air conditioner down to 72 degrees, set it to 78 degrees. Right. If you have a lot of lights on that you don't need, turn them off. If you have major appliances that use a lot of electricity, wait till, the, wait till this evening to use it. So they hope to get a significant reduction of electricity uh, demand so they don't have to have rolling blackouts. This sounds a bit like the mask challenge, though. Government can tell people to wear masks. Government could say, I'm going to fine you if you don't wear a mask. But ultimately, Jim, it's a behavioral issue. You're telling people, please behave better and wear a mask. And it's not the same. Jerry Brown, former governor, uh, Gavin Newsom's predecessor, Jerry Brown, who doesn't go on Twitter a lot, but he went on Twitter earlier today, and he said, everybody turn up your thermostats, and we'll, we won't have blackouts. It's as simple as that. It's kind of, you could kind of picture Jimmy Carter wearing a sweater in the Oval Office telling you to, to fiddle with the thermostat. But how do you make people turn up their thermostats if – for example, you can't police uh, me, it if you can't enforce it. Let me give you some numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, first, it may not work in theory, but it works in practice. Here's the data from I have from today and yesterday for the whole California system that was controlled by the California Independent System Operator, which I'll call KISO. They make day ahead forecasts of what the electricity is going to 
needs are going to be on an hour by hour basis. That's based upon historical patterns, the weather forecast is temperature, um, what day of the week it is, all of, all of this objective data um, that we've had over time. And so that would be the forecast that, would, that they would expect if nothing really happened. For Monday, they expected the maximum to get up to about 50, almost 50,000 megawatts. And for today, a little bit over 50,000 megawatts. That was the expectation. So then the utilities and the public service messages said, turn up your thermostat so you don't cool as much, turn off the lights and so forth. The peak that we in fact got on Monday was a little over 44,000 megawatts. So, so there was a reduction of 5,000 megawatts, 10% reduction. Mm -hmm. uh, and that happened uh, in the afternoon hours when we needed. The, the peak was going to come um, between 3 o'clock and, and about um, 7 p.m. Those are when the, the use of it is peaked. And from those uh, starting between three and seven, the demand never got below uh, much above 44,000, say 44,500 megawatts. So it's about 5,000 reduced from the peak. On Tuesday, um, the peak, the um, quantity went down, got up to about 47,000 when it was predicted to go a little over 50. And so there was about between three and 4,000 um, megawatts reduction based upon mostly energy conservation, some contractual uh, options that the utilities have with some customers that they have a contract that says, hey, we can control your air conditioner, big industrial from here. So the combination of all of those things together was 10%. So we never needed a blackout. So Jim, Jim how does COVID affect all of this? Because on the one hand, people are not going into work as they would. So let's assume office buildings aren't using up as much juice for electricity, for cooling as they would. Uh, on the other hand, people are staying home. So residentially, they're using more electricity during the day instead of coming home at five o'clock and firing up everything. They're home during the day. So there's more use day 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 wide if you will so does that affect usage at all it it does but that's uh not been a dominant effect if anything it tends to increase usage because um people in 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 buildings and big commercial buildings mm -hmm. you use a less less lighting and cooling per person than you do in the individual home so COVID tends to somewhat increase the demand, but it's not a massive effect. By the way, where it has been a massive effect is not in electricity, but in gasoline. People aren't driving as much. And so the gasoline markets have been uh, savaged by, 
by the uh, reduction in driving. So that's been the big energy impact, not electricity. Yeah, I was just, by the way, speaking of which I just noticed, I always check the gas when I drive by. If you live in Northern California, it's just something you get used to. It's the, remember, I, I live not too far from that Shell Station gym that put out the famous arm and a leg sign during a, during a $5 <laughs> gas. But I've noticed that high test, uh, my local station's creeping back up to $4 a gallon. Well, it's, it's still a lot lower than it would be before, but right now, people are starting to drive again. Yeah. Uh, it, it, during the mandatory shutdown, you can have, you, we have data from the state of California that show a very sharp reduction in, in driving. But now, that is not mandatory shutdowns, but, but more closing down of some of the buildings and mask rules traveling is going back up again and the demand for gasoline is going up again. So Jim, California has had 19 years now to figure out how to avoid rolling blackouts and it's failed. So no, I, I don't, I don't think that's oh, right. You, you don't think so. You don't think it's failed. So, well, great. Then let's grade well, California's efforts over the past thing, 19 years. One thing we, we actually like the crisis. We've talked more about rolling blackouts than we've had them. Okay. Monday and Tuesday, we have not had rolling blackouts. We've, we've said this could happen if you don't turn down the air conditioners and people have done it and we didn't have rolling blackouts. On Friday, it was, there were some blackouts, but it was very different and they weren't the rolling blackouts. There was a couple of power plants that I don't know what happened, but accidents, they were knocked offline. Uh, and there was uh, local reductions of electricity and there were blackouts there. But this is, this is the threat of back blackouts without a reality. But, but the threats but, requires but, but people. Let me, let's be, let me take the essence of your question without being quite as harsh. Um, first, since 2000, we've gotten rid of all of those stupid regulations that the state of California has put put in about the, the price controls and, and the um, control of the supply side. We have much more sensible regulation. However, what we're doing right now is moving towards um, as much renewables as we can. California is really pushing the envelope. Mm -hmm. And we're getting um, at the peak on Monday and Tuesday, uh, the amount of electricity that we, we've got from uh, solar energy is in the order of about 11,000 uh, megawatts. That's about a quarter of the electricity. Right. And then we've gotten some more from, from wind. So that, that is expanding. But the problem with solar mm -hmm. is it doesn't give you electricity when the sun doesn't shine. Right. But also, it doesn't give you much electricity when the sun is starting setting. Yeah, this is, this is I think, this is what if I'm curious, you rely on solar for energy, but if people are using energy at six, seven o'clock at night, and let's say it's the fall or the winter when it's getting dark at that hour, what do you do? Well, that's exactly the point. Yeah. That, that is, um, if you look at the peak of the demand, it still was high up till 7 p.m. And by 7 p.m., 7 p.m., it was, it was uh, actually 45,000 megawatts. And then it was going down after 7 p.m. The solar 
started declining at 3 p.m. And so we have that time from four, five, six, seven, eight, where people have their air conditioners on, it's still hot, they turn their lights on because it's, it's dark. The wind starts picking up and you start getting uh, more electricity from wind, but, but the increase of wind electricity is much smaller than the decrease of solar. So you have that gap in the end of the time where, where neither solar or wind do the job for you. So that's where you need flexible electricity. Okay, explain the role of natural gas then in California. Okay, uh, let me do the two flexible things. Mm -hmm. The two flexible ones are hydropower right. and, and natural gas. Hydropower is quicker. Even though we get less this year, we can choose when we get it because there's only so much water in a dam. You right. use it now, you use it later. So what, what we've done is used almost none other than the minimum we have to mm -hmm. up until about two in the afternoon. And then we start using water from the dams, the hydropower in that afternoon when, when solar is beginning to go down. So that's the most flex, that's a flexibility, but within limit because we only could, were able to get something like at peak 5,000 megawatts on it. Okay. So what's the, and then we have nuclear. Well, that's flat over the day. That doesn't adjust at all. We've got imports, but you know, as I've said, imports are great if somebody will sell it to you, but if they need it themselves, they won't sell it to you. Right. The only completely flexible fuel we have is natural gas. Okay. And, so and that, and that adjusts in the course of Tuesday from a minimum of 12,000 megawatts supplied to a maximum of 27,000 megawatt watt supplied. It's over two to one difference, and it can change that over a short period of time. So for a long period of time, even though California said, we wanna go entirely renewables, mm -hmm. they've gotta remember that time from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. where they need something. Sometimes people talk about batteries, Mm -hmm. We get electricity from batteries, you know, they store when it's, when the electricity is cheap and they generate it when it's, when it's, um, or they release it when it's, um, uh, electricity is expensive, but that's minuscule amount right now. The most we're getting is a quarter of a thousand megawatts or 250 megawatts. We've that's nothing when we're, we're talking about a shortage of maybe four or 5,000 yeah. megawatts. So unless you have a mass of battery banks everywhere <laughs> and better not be lithium ion, you can't even take them on airplanes. Imagine them in big banks together. That would also batteries aren't cheap. I think Tesla's gym runs in the neighborhood about 10 grand, doesn't it? They're massively expensive. Yeah. Right. Therefore, the only thing that we have reasonable to cover that, and we're gonna to have to have for a long time, is natural gas. But then we realize that if you squeeze down the time in which you're using the natural gas, well, you're gonna to have to pay the capital cost of those plants. Even if you don't use them very much, somebody's gonna pay the capital cost, or nobody will, will be willing to invest in them.
Jim, is the problem with natural gas, is it, is it just, you know, save the fish? In other words, cooling systems pump gallons of billions of gallons of seawater that kills marine life. So it's save the fish, don't do it. Or is it just sort of a larger California disposition against fossil fuels? It's in, in some of the natural gas plants to save the fish because of the water cooling. A lot of the cooling is not dumping it into the lakes anyway. It has, it has nothing to do with saving fish. Mm-hmm. It's mostly an issue is if we try to decarbonize our system, we, you get rid of the highest carbon things first, that's coal. Petroleum's the next highest, you try, you try to squeeze that out. Natural gas is still a fossil fuel. So California is trying to get, move away from natural gas and because and, it releases greenhouse gases. So it's, it's to try to clean up the environment um, for dealing with global climate change. But the fact is, if you're thinking about a sensible policy, I believe the three things you have to think about, economics, the environment, and security. Security means you need to have that electricity without it blacking out on you. So thank you. You just teed up my question. Is it possible, Professor Sweeney, if so, explain how, is it possible for a state like California, not just a state, but a nation state, is it possible for California, A, to address climate change, B, reduce air pollution, and C, have an abundant, reliable energy supply that'll fuel a world-sized population and a world-class economy. Can you do all three things at once? Yes, you can, but you cannot have statements that say no fossil fuels, at least until some far distant future where we have so much renewables and so much batteries we can, we, we don't have to worry about it. But in the foreseeable future, if you say no fossil fuels, no natural gas to create a flexible supply of electricity, mm-hmm. you are not going to have the security that you demand, and the costs will be overwhelming. You can clean up the environment, but those will be very bad. So we can make good progress in global climate change, and we should. But in doing that, you've got to pay attention to all three at once or else you're going to go off the rails. Because I don't think it it's acceptable to the state of California to have an electricity system that feels like it's a third world system that's going on and off. We're not there now. So but you suggest- we're going to have to continue to have natural gas as part of the system in order to make sure we don't get that way. So you're suggesting a policy that has to be flexible, that can hit the brakes if need be. For example, the State Water Resources Control Board um, right now, um, it could easily delay rules requiring natural gas plants in Southern California to be being shut down. They could step in and do that if they wanted to, right? Yes, right. absolutely. And they probably should step in those rules and say, don't do it now. But the other thing that they could do is say, okay, you utilities, you must contract to get more natural gas supplies that are guaranteed for you. And the utilities will say, ah, that will cost more money. Somebody will have to pay for it. And the utilities commission will say, yes, the consumers who want reliability are gonna have to pay for that natural gas you contract it. Then the natural gas, the utilities can go to the uh, companies that, that are willing to invest in and natural gas plants and say, 
we want you to invest in the natural gas plant, we're not going to use it very much. We don't know if we're going to use it at all. And the, and the company will say, that's okay. You've got to pay me in a certain amount for this reliability and we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll invest in this. We don't, we're not going to sell you very much, but you've got to pay me the cost so I can, I can get compensated and get a profit. So you need the regulatory system to be flexible, to accept the fact that if we're going to move away, if we're going to clean up the environment, it's not going to be free. It's going to cost something and somebody's going to pay for it. And who's going to pay for it is the consumers who need the electricity. And the regulatory system has to be flexible enough to, to do that in a sensible way. You gave one example of it. The other example of this con is contracting for more supplies of electricity that are like an insurance policy. You, pro you may not need, or you may need only three days a year but they're there if you need them. Right, very good. Can you explain the federal and state relationship when it comes to California energy policy? Uh, well, the price regulation, any, anything that is entirely in the state of California is regulated by the state. That's the period. Any interstate commerce is rec regulated by the federal government. So now, there's a public utility commission is where you look, right? Public utility commission is, is the state of California. Right. They, they regulate um, the utilities that are entirely within state. They, they set prices for electricity. Um, and so that's all within state. And they can order them to enter new contracts to buy electricity. Those new contracts are all in state. The independent system operator, is that state or federal? That, that is, is uh, federally regulated, federally managed, but the members of the board are appointed by, by the state of California. They probably should be appointed at the federal level, but that's been a fight that's been going on for the last 25 years. But, but it's a federal regulation. It's a non-for-profit entity. It's a non-for-profit entity that operates very professionally and independently, but the rules of operation are set by the federal energy regulatory system. Now, the wholesale market for electricity. You generate it and sell on the wholesale market. That's essentially an interstate market because electrons don't care where the state boundaries are. Right. So that is regulated at the federal level by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They regulate um, the state markets and they don't set prices and it's pretty free market, but there is an equal access uh, no price discrimination um, rule, and th that that electricity, for the most part, is transacted through the independent system operator, which is again a federal entity. So it's a compl complicated mix. It is. So let's look at this in two ways, Jim. One is if you if you could rule a wand and kind of wave around it one and change things here. Uh, let's talk about what you do in terms of energy supply. But then secondly, what you do in terms of management, because I saw a quote from a Berkeley energy professor who said, quote, California's blackouts are due to poor management. It's not due to a supply problem. 
I'm not sure what whether which of the two two professors that would have been uh, that said that they would have different views whether it's Dan Kamen uh, 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 which one so let's not talk about them but 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 I think it's a management issue right okay we, so in the fall the uh, ICE, California Independent System Operator said very loudly to the to the California Public Utilities Commission, you will risk next summer having blackouts unless you ask the require the utilities to contractually get more power, have a contract to get more power, and. Um, because we can see that that we we know that we don't know we know that that some days will be hot and some days will be not hot and some days will will have uh, a lot of wind and some days we won't so you got some risks so in order to protect from that risks of having any blackout you need to acquire more electricity through contracts so you can protect from it Mm -hmm. The independent system operator told, loudly told the Public Utilities Commission that. The Public Utilities Commission did not order the utilities to, to buy more electricity. Their argument seemed to be buy more electricity would cost more and the consumers would have to pay that cost. And, and um, it, it's not worth protecting against this possibility of, of blackouts. They're also their argument is in the possibility of blackouts, if we encourage people to conserve, probably they will and we maybe will be able to avoid the blackouts, which is in fact what's happened so far, but we can't guarantee that it'll happen. So the poor management is that the Public Utilities Commission failed to, to buy the insurance policy that I think they should have bought and that the that the CAISO told them that they should be buying. So if you want to call that bad management, that's fine. That's a bit of bad management that I see. So then does California Jim need to think about a, a, a increasing rates on customers, some sort of energy tax, something like that, to create a revenue stream through which you would have a supply of cash with which to buy more energy? I think it's, it, it, yes, but it's the other way around. You need to contractually buy enough, have enough power on hand so that you don't have run into blackouts. And then you see how much that costs. You try to get that as a lower cost as possible. And that cost has to be passed through from customers. The, the Public Utilities Commission has to look over the shoulders of the utilities to make sure they're not entering into stupid high-priced contracts that they shouldn't. But, but it's a cost-based, the prices are very cost-based. So yes, it's what you talked about, but sort of the other order where you, where you, you buy the insurance policy and then you, then you say, damn, I wouldn't like to pay that much for insurance, but I don't want my, my house burns down, I wanna be insured, so I'm gonna pay for it. I think that's the order that you end up doing it. So then let's look up the ladder then beyond the PUC. Does the legislature need to sit down with the PUC and hold hearings and talk about this? Does the governor have to make this an executive branch function and say this is the way we're doing things now? In other words, who, who drives this out of Sacramento? 
We, we, you can, you it's, press really, a, it's really complicated, but the Public Utilities Commission really has the final say. And for all of these regulatory decisions, it's very difficult for the legislature to make a change. The Public Utilities Commission has to do very sort of fairly fine rate making and rule setting there. What the, what the um, legislature can do, the rules that they can set are very blunt to do this. Um, the, governor, um, the governor and the president of the Public Utilities Commission in a well-functioning state work together. The Public Utilities Commission really is making these balancing trade-off judgments and the government, the governor can be weighing in. And, and when things don't go, go right, he can say, we're gonna investigate. We're gonna, why should this happen? It shouldn't have happened. But really, if you look back on the, in the fall where the, where the Kaiser was saying, hey guys, you're gonna get into a problem if you don't buy insurance policies. That's when the governor and the president of Public Utilities Commission should have been talking and say, yes, it'll be more costly for the consumers, but we don't want, we don't want blackouts. Now, I believe the governor said that he was unaware of the ISO's decision to um, begin the process of rolling blackouts. Yeah, to, but, but, but he's saying... But is that how the system is, is system supposed to work that way? Is he supposed to be out of the loop? In other words, keep out of politics? Okay, what, what he's saying when a couple of plants... Uh, when a couple of plants went offline suddenly, mm -hmm. and ISO, ISO uh, uh, ordered some of the utilities to to sh to share the cutting it, cutting back of the demand, so it wouldn't be a disaster. Afterwards, they they I guess they lo they told the governor after they started the action. It sounds like the governor wanted to know first and then start the action afterwards. Actually, maybe he was offended, but I would like the action to start first and then the government to, governor to be told later, or have some somebody else in your agency call the governor and let him know what's going on, but I want the action to happen first. I think he was just in an awful political situation, Jim. Of course. First of all, he's thinking back to the ghost of Gray Davis, but secondly, he's recognizing that this happened on my watch. So, yeah, but remember, say. Friday, those are actually pretty little blackouts. As I said earlier, we've talked more about real blackout, rolling blackouts than we've had so far. This, these were the three days that they were going to happen. And because the, mostly the public was energized to reduce their use of electricity, we avoided it. So there's been more talk about them than actual real blackouts so far. Okay. Who knows? The lights may go on as we're t off when we're talking, and so it may happen, but... I know. We should probably wrap this down. Uh, but, but really... If the governor wanted to get involved in the decision making, fall was the time where they could plan ahead and create more of the safety margins, planning right. ahead so they didn't have this crisis situation. The governor, there's very little the governor can do right. other than make, make statements to the press at the time 
of the crisis when you don't have any adjustment and any ability to make an insurance policy. It's sort of like when, when the house is on fire, the governor says, you should have had insur insurance policy. You say, yeah, okay, what it should have, could have. Well, you raise a good point, though. This is sort of like a hurricane season on the East Coast. California has a window for this sort of thing, and the window is what now? It's July. That's, that's right. September, when you have a combination of what? You have a combination of heat and wildfires. And, 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 you, and you have the water in the reservoirs have been, uh, has been declining because you ha haven't got to the rainy season yet. Right. Okay, so let's... So all, all of those together, and it's like hurricanes. The things you do when the hurricane's going to hit you, you know, you board up the windows. But knowing that you've got a hurricane, you build your homes differently. You, you have a supply of plywood that you can put on the windows if you need them. Right. Okay. So let, let's wind this down. That We have not talked about uh, energy sources right now. So we, we've touched base on a lot of them in this podcast. We've talked about natural gas. We've talked about... Uh, glancing mention of nuclear power. We've talked about solar. We've talked about hydro. We've talked about batteries and there, who knows how many other sources of energy, but what should the state of California be thinking in terms of doing anything differently at this point? When you have all those different options for power, where could the state be going? Uh, well, actually, I believe the state move towards renewables is a good thing. Mm -hmm. I personally like it. It's controversial. Some people don't like that. What I don't like is the uh, rhetoric around it that says divest from all natural gas, for all fossil fuels. Um, we need to be realistic and flexible, knowing that, that sometime in the far, far distant future we'll have endless supply of electricity that's perfectly clean. But before we get there, we have to be pay attention to that three-way trade-off, security, environment, and the economy. And the specific things that we've got to be doing is recognizing that the more solar that we get, the more we're going to have this awkward time at the end of the day where, where the sun's not going to shine well, and we need something. And that something can be batteries, but that's really expensive. It, it can be hydro, but there's a limit on how much you get for rain. The only viable option I view is continue a fleet of natural gas plants and make some contracts so that we continue to modernize the fleet so that uh, the old clunkers can get, get uh, um, get decommissioned and the new more efficient ones are coming in but then we just pay for the insurance policy of doing it so we can move towards the environment we can keep keep the uh the security up but it's going to be it's not going to be free so we better stop pretending it's going to be free so we end up paying the costs and take those trade-offs but get rid of the rhetoric that that makes fossil all fossil fuels the enemy because um the issue is if we want to drive to the rally to say that natural gas is the enemy 
better not do it at the end of the day where we need either electricity for our cars or gasoline for the cars because both of those ultimately are having fossil fuels. Okay, final question for you, Jim, sweetie. Uh, this is the Democratic uh, Convention Week in Milwaukee, or the virtual convention, I should say, and there hasn't been a lot of specific talk about energy, but uh, in a universe where Joe Biden is the president, and if he brings in a Democratic Congress with him, there is a different approach to energy in the United States of America, You Green New Deal, or whatever they come up with. How does this impact California, you think, if this takes place? I, I know we can talk about the, the various things, the Green New Deal, but let's, let's assume that maybe that doesn't happen, but there is action on the less. So how do you see the effect on California? Probably very little because the green, first, Biden has rejected this whole Green New Deal the way it's been articulated by AOC or the others right. on the extreme left. Right. He won't, he won't do that, him. but he'll feel pressure to do something though. Good for him. Neither Kamala Harris nor he are that extreme on energy. So one, I think we'll move towards paying more attention to climate change, but paying attention to climate change can't just be lip service saying we want to we want to pay we want to deal with it. We're going to have to have specific policies. Those policies are apt to be research and development and and clean forms of energy. They're going to be. Uh, more incentives in moving towards energy efficiency. There's going to be better fuel efficiency standards for automobiles. It's not going to be the rollback mm -hmm. that we have now. Maybe even we'll get a, a, a carbon tax that, that uh, is a revenue neutral carbon tax. That's a little too much to ask for. So right. George Schultz and many of us have been asking for, but but those may be within the space of what, what they're gonna do. But I actually don't think the nation as a whole, the new rules will actually go beyond what California is already doing. So I don't think they will directly impact California, but what they will do is say, hey, what you're doing in California for clean energy is actually not you going it alone, but other people are going with it. And that'll encourage people to go even further in California that they're doing it than they're doing now. Not because they're forced to by the government, but because the hand of the people who are Green New Deal are strengthened by seeing other people move in that direction. Okay, Jim Sweeney, if you do get a blackout today, what's your plan? Are you going to eat all the ice cream in your fridge or how are you going to ride it out? No, for an hour, my refrigerator would be okay. And the blackout is still going to be light. And I think I'm going to take a hike. And I don't know if I told you about four weeks ago, I got a brand new knee. Oh, and I'm knee. able to now, in good enough shape, I can take a, a hike. So I will take a nice walk, maybe around Lake Lagunita that doesn't have water in it, but it's a nice place to walk. Well, unfortunately, the Stanford Dish is closed today because of the smoke, which I mentioned in the introduction. For those not in California, uh, we had a freakish weather system strike over the weekend. I'm not sure if it woke you up, Jim, but it woke me up. We had a, a confluence. This hot weather system uh, clashed with uh, with remnants of a monsoon that came off the coast, and we had thunder and lightning, the likes of which I've been here 20 years, Jim. I've never seen a storm 
storm of this intensity that lasts, lasts this long here. Usually we get these weird thunder systems where it claps a couple of times as one bolt of lightning and the show's over. But this went on for two hours, had a little rain, little hail. It was really, really fierce, but it set off fires around the Bay Area. And now where there's fires, there's smoke. And where there's smoke, it drips over us. And the air quality here is miserable. Now, this isn't shocking to me. Right. I grew up in Connecticut. I'm still emotionally a New Englander. I used to remember summer nights laying in bed and see sheet lightning and the and the thunder and lightning strikes. And it was as the world should be. And there was some rain in there. And there was a comfort that this is as it is. It should be. And so I haven't seen that in California at all. But this brought me to my Connecticut roots. Well, uh, given what's going on in the state with plague and pandemic, it had kind of a book of Exodus feel to it that <laughs> someone's really mad at us. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay, Jim Sweeney, I enjoyed okay, the conversation no. and uh, hope your lights stay on, my friend. Great. Thanks. Enjoyed Great. it as always. Thank Bye-bye. you. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy choices confronting America's 45th president and the great state of California. You can find the Hoover Institution online at www.hoover.org. While you're there, do yourself a favor and sign up for the Hoover Daily Report, since the best work of Jim Sweeney and his Hoover colleagues straight to your inbox weekdays. You can find the Hoover Institution on Facebook and on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Until then, thanks, thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And if you're in California, I hope your lights stay on. Bye-bye. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.